So good to be with you this morning in this beautiful Christmas season. Looking forward to tonight. Oh, some of you are. I hope all of you are. Uh, look, just in relation to that, just one quick little announcement. We've been, I've been asked by the, the setup team uh, if, uh, and I don't think it applies to this congregation, but if the car park could be cleared by 12, would be very helpful. Thank you. I'll have to mention that at the next service. But if you're in that category, if you're going to hang around for the next service, for example, then if you could just make sure that your car is moved out of the car park. Sounds a great time. I haven't been to one of these uh, carols or fairs yet, so I'm looking forward to this afternoon. Hope you are as well. Um, if you've got your Bibles, um, please open up at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and we're going to read from 18 down to 25. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Well-known words, but awesome words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. What a beautiful name. Let's pray and uh, continue to worship God this morning. Father, we thank you for this uh, amazing story. We thank you that you're an amazing God of grace, mercy, love and kindness. It's good for us, Lord, sometimes to be uh, able to sit at your feet and just ponder these truths once again, particularly when we've been walking down the track for a long time with you. May we never grow complacent. May we always, forever, stand in awe of your presence and be thankful that you gave us your son to save a wretch like me. So, Lord, here this morning we just continue our worship time. Thank you for what you've already been saying to us. And we just continue to pray that we'll hear your word to us again as we open the scripture. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In my uh, early days as a believer, I would have only been 20, 21 back then. um, I didn't really come from a Christian family. We never had the Bible open and read to us and those things. So I never really knew much about the Bible at all. I really didn't know anything about the Bible, hardly knew any of the stories of the Bible, as so many of our kids, bless them, do today. Um, and it isn't amazing, the more you get to know the Scripture, the more you realise how much you don't know. But back then, I really didn't know much at all. I didn't know where to find certain passages when I was going through certain crises and I had some issues, I had some questions. I didn't really know where to go in the Bible to find them. And, And I found that occasionally, 
um, back then, it doesn't hardly happen much at all today, but back then God would speak into my mind his words. And sometimes that happens. I don't think so much as we grow in the scripture. I believe God wants us to really know his written word. But back then I didn't know it and God still spoke to me, but he spoke into my mind. And I can remember one occasion. I was in the army back then, a brand new believer. A small group of us, our troop, went on an exercise. We went up to Tin Can Bay, we stayed in a little hut. And for whatever reason that night... It was fairly late at night. Someone thought it would be fun to show a... I know we've got children here this morning, so I don't even want to use the word. <laughs> but to show a certain stock type of movie, and you know what it is, starts with a P. And, and that really made me uncomfortable. That, that really upset me, and I became quite anxious about that because I know God didn't want me to watch that stuff. He'd pulled me out of that miry pit. And so I wasn't interested in that. But it did alarm me that they were going to do this in this hut. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to take any part of this. So I, I wanted to go to sleep. So I just put my bunk down and I, and I started to go to sleep. And, of course, I found it very hard to go to sleep. I couldn't sleep. And I'm getting all worked up. Lord, you know, I'm getting angry. And I'm saying to my prayer, I start praying to God, and I'm saying, God, why don't you blow up that projector? Lord, send a bolt of lightning and strike fear into their hearts. And I'm praying this prayer. In my spirit, you know, in, in, as I'm trying to sleep, and that God would really judge this. He'd really, you know, send this bottle of lightning and blow it all up, and that they would tremble in fear and all that sort of stuff going through my mind. Um, but God never did that. Instead, He just said these words to me. I never forget them. He said, These things have I already judged. And it was quite profound for me to hear that back then, and they're interesting words to ponder. But along with those words came an overwhelming sense of the peace and the presence of God with that word that he gave me. Do you know what? I was able just to curl up, rolled over, and I went to sleep. Slept like a baby. Didn't know anything, heard nothing until I woke the next morning. It was beautiful. And then I had some interesting conversations with certain individuals the next morning. I won't go into that now, but um, God just made that happen, you know. Um, another occasion I can remember where I'd been in a, a relationship as a young single man and, and um, it, was a, it was a very difficult time in this particular relationship. The relationship ended and uh, God woke me up early one morning. I just woke up and, and his words filled my mind. And the words were simply this, I am with you. I am with you. How many times have you read those words? How many times have you heard God say that to you since then? And he says, he's been saying it to me. I am with you. Oh, haven't we got a great God? What a great God. What an amazing God of grace and love and care he has for individuals that he would speak to our hearts. And he does through his word, through his written word. We've got to get to know the written word, folks, because that's how God really speaks to us. You know, in this passage that we've just read... From Matthew 18 and uh, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, it's about I am with you. That's what I see. I am with you. It's about Emmanuel, God with us. And the beautiful thing is, he still is. Again, let me read these well-known and, and marvellous, wondrous words that are part of the Christmas narrative. Let me read them again. Have a listen to these words. All this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We also know that Matthew's referring to that uh, prophecy, <coughs> excuse me, given, to the, uh, given through the prophet Isaiah to, in the time of, of, of Ahaz, king of Judah. Words were given to encourage him. It's an interesting passage to read. And that prophecy came through Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give, a birth, will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And we know that the birth of Christ was the complete fulfillment of this particular prophecy, given several hundred years before the birth of Christ. How amazing. And although... Although no one actually, as far as we know, no one actually called Jesus by the name, Emmanuel. We don't ever hear him saying, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. <clears throat> we don't hear that. But he was, as Leon Morris described him, no less than God who came right where we are. No less than God who came right where we are. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, described Emmanuel in these magnificent, timeless words. And I know that we know them so well, but let's read them again and ask God just to fill us afresh with his word. Uh, from John 1, 1 to 2, he says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14 of John chapter 1, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want, you to, read, <clears throat> I want to read something to you that, <clears throat> that Stuart Briscoe said in his book, Meet Him at the Manger. And he says this, he says, I'm absolutely convinced that our understanding of Christianity stands or falls on what we believe about this statement, the word became flesh. I would ask you a very serious question this Christmas season. Do you really believe the word God became flesh? I understand why people don't believe that the word became flesh. After all, it's a ridiculous statement, unless it's true. And if it's true, then the almighty God, creator of the universe, has been in our midst. However, this fundamental truth requires more from us. If God has become a person, this presents a problem. Scripture says that in Christ we have seen the God of the universe. <clears throat> he has already been here. It's one thing to think of an adorable baby surrounded by gentle beasts. But, we, but are we ready to deal with the reality of God living among us, revealing himself to us? So what does this really mean then to you and me when the word became flesh and that he Christ Jesus today in the person of the Holy Spirit is still with us that's the question what does that mean to you what does it mean to me you've heard the Christmas story time many many times what does it really mean to you today I like what Matthew Henry says. He says, Behold in this the deepest mystery and the richest mercy that ever was. 
By the light of nature, we see God as God above us. By the light of the law, we see him as God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us. In our own nature. And which is more, in our interest. God with us in our interest. When you think about this, <clears throat> what words really are adequate enough to describe this, as Matthew Henry put it, the deepest mystery? I think words are so inadequate. Well, in an attempt, I'm going to suggest three things. Uh, sorry, two things, actually. I've cut it down to two. Two things that Emmanuel, God, means, uh, God with us. What does that really mean to us? I'm going to suggest two things. Firstly, in the person of Christ, it means that God identified himself with our humanity. And he still does. The word became flesh. The indescribable God of the universe, creator and sustainer of everything. Everything that is. Put on human flesh. Put on human flesh. No wonder Matthew Henry calls it the deepest mystery. And this same God, this same God chose to confine himself to a virgin's womb. Was born as a human baby. And as John said, made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling among us. Now I'm just wondering this morning. I'm wondering this morning if you have invited his indwelling to be with you? Have you invited him to be among us? Have you invited Christ this Christmas to be among you, in you, with your family, in your own life? Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this mystery of Christ among us. I want to read from the Amplified Version, from Philippians 2, 6 and 7. He says this, Although being essentially, speaking about Christ, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God a God, did not think this equality with God a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity, so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. Amplified version of Philippians 2, 6 and 7. And then the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Emmanuel, God with us. And still is today. What do you think about that? And again, I'm sure that we can all stand amazed as we try to fathom this, the deepest mystery as, as Matthew Henry spoke about. But what this also means is that this same God understands completely what it is to be like you. He understands what it's like to be you. Did you get that this morning? He understands what it's like to be you. No one else can do that. 
They can sympathise, empathise, but no one knows what it's like to be you. Christ does. To use this modern term, he gets you. He gets you. Is it the insurance company, Yui, that has that slogan? Their slogan, we get you? You remember that? Yeah, don't worry about it. But they, they say that. And um, I don't think they really do. I, I don't quite... Uh, I don't know if they really do get you. I know they get your money. But they don't really get you, um, do they? Emmanuel, God with us, really does. He gets you. He understands you. The person. He gets you because he made you in his very own image. And then you could say, yes, we were made in his image. But interestingly, isn't it, when you think about it, he was then made in our image. As we think about Christmas, as we think about the incarnation, he chose to be made in our image. So he knows our every emotion. He knows our every thought. He knows our dreams. He knows our fears. He knows our strengths. He knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. In fact, there's nothing about you that he doesn't know. There's some in the scripture, I think it's Hebrews, where it talks about everything in creation is laid bare before him. Everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. Everything. There's no secrets. And, you know, when you come to love the Lord, you don't want to have any secrets from him. You notice that? When you're not walking with the God, you try to hide it all. I don't want God to see that. But when you come to know him, you say, God, see me, please. And get rid of all the junk that you see in my life. I want you to fill me completely. I don't want an atom that doesn't bow its knee to you. Because I know that you've got the very best for me. And so we say, God, I want to have all of you. And I want you to have all of me. Are you in that place today? I tell you what, it's liberating to be in that place. There's a freedom like you wouldn't believe. If you're not there yet, then try it. Say to God, have all of me, Lord. See me. Because he really gets you. He understands you. And he loves you like you wouldn't believe. I, I love this psalm. I, I think it speaks so powerfully what I've just tried to say. Psalm 139, one of my favourites. Verses 1 to 4 says this. Listen, and, and, and you, know, you get a chance to read these words yourself. Psalm 139, 1 to 4. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. He really knows you and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. What a great God. I marvel also at the fact that because God in Christ came as Emmanuel to dwell among us, to share in our humanity, to share in our human nature, he is therefore able to sympathise with our humanness. And he also is able to recognise the very needs that we have even before we do. He knows our needs before you even know them yourself. This is sort of God. This is the intimacy that God has and wants to have with each of us. 
In other words, Jesus qualifies to be our high priest. And he is. Hebrews again says this. Listen to these magnificent words. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. He's been tempted. He knows the temptations that you face. He knows the struggles that you have. What a great God, because he's been through it. I want to ask you another question this morning. When was it, when was the last time that you sat down and had a one-to-one conversation with your great high priest? When did you last do that? When did you unload on him the stuff that you're carrying around? The very things that we've just been talking about. When did you sit down and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I'm wrestling with this weakness. Lord, I'm battling this temptation. When did you last sit down and talk with him one-on-one? Find a place. Get away from the crowds. Get close and personal with the Lord. When did you last do that? He wants to do that with you. You see, because in the next verse of this same passage from Hebrews 4 and verse 15, verse 16 says this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and your will and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is who Jesus is. He's not going to wait there with a big stick and whack you when you step out of line as some legalists seem to think that he does. He welcomes you and he says, Come, come to me, those who labor to heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Learn from me, he says. There are some people who think, if I give this to the Lord, he's going to whack me, he's going to condemn me. They're just rubbish. Get down and meet with the Lord personally. Know who your great high priest is. Speaking of need, he does know our needs. He knows them, as I said before, we even know them ourselves. And, but, and speaking of need, and this leads me to the second point I want to make, a question. What do you think is the greatest need that we have as human beings? What do you think is the greatest need that we have as human beings? I'll give you a hint. I love this story too. It was... What was the first thing that Jesus said to that paralysed man when his friends brought him to Jesus? Couldn't get into the house, so they made an opening in the roof and lowered him down right in front of Jesus where Jesus was. Here's this paralysed man. Been paralysed probably since birth, I don't know, I forget now. But he's paralysed, he's in desperate need. What were the first words that this man heard Jesus say to him? He's in, in the Gospels, it's written. Sometimes he said, son, or he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And here's this guy, flat on his back, can't move, he's paralysed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Well, but, but, but is that his greatest need? Yes, it is. Yes, it was. And it is today. And you know the story, you can read it yourself. And so, secondly, Emmanuel 
God with us means that he would rescue us. It means that he would rescue us and save us from our sins. And he still does. I like to use the word rescue because you need to be rescued. We needed, I needed to be rescued. I was in a pit as a young man. Uh, Psalm 40 describes it to a T. It's exactly, it's, read Psalm 40, the first few verses, it describes where I was. I was in a pit. As a young man, you heard a bit of my testimony, I was in a sewerage pit. I fell into a sewerage pit as a young guy. And I think that was a symbol. I was up to here in a raw sewerage pit. And I think that was the imagery God was brought to me some years later to say, that's the kind of pit you're in, David, and I had to pull you out of that because you couldn't get out. He rescued us and saved us from our sins and he still does. Look carefully at the message that the angel gave Joseph in his dream. Look at these words again. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name. It's a directive. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. William Barclay, a great commentator, not necessarily agree with all of his theology, but great commentator, he says this. He makes this significant comment. He says, Jesus was not so much the man to be born king as the man to be born saviour. To be born the saviour. Yes, we know he is the king of kings. We know that. He's the Lord of lords. But let us not forget the ultimate purpose for which he came among us. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The greatest need in the world today is for people to come to Christ, is to have their sins forgiven, is to be set free from the enemy's oppression and the condemnation that they're under. That's the greatest need that we have. Matthew Henry again, he says that Joseph called his name Jesus according to the direction given him. God having appointed him to be the saviour, which is intimated in his giving him the name Jesus, we must accept of him to be our saviour. And in, a, in concurrence with that appointment, we must call him Jesus, our saviour, which I think was one of the songs that we sang, had those words in it this morning. Jesus, our saviour. In relation to this Jesus our Saviour, in relation to this him saving us from our sins, one of the most powerful declarations that I see in the scripture about Christ came from John the Baptist. Do you remember that? Magnificent words. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, when John the Baptist sees this guy, God's revelation came upon John and he said to those around him, let me read from John 1.29, um, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God. Everybody would have known exactly what that meant. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was and is our greatest need. We never saw it, but our Father did. God did. And he gave us Emmanuel. Romans 5, 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't they great words? At just the right time. I mentioned this last week at the, at the uh, um, 
Cantonese and the Mandarin service at just the right time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. When we were still powerless, when we were not expecting him to do this, when we had no idea, God sent his son. Christ died for the ungodly. There was no other way for us to be rescued from the sin that separated us from God and condemned us eternally from his presence. No other way. The scripture makes it absolutely clear that Christ was and is the only one. The one and only saviour of the world. Listen to what the apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. He says this. Good verse to know because if people say, listen, salvation can come other ways. You can do this, you can do that, you can believe in him, you can believe in her, you can believe in that. And God will accept that kind of thing. When you hear that sort of stuff... You can rebuke that, you can refute it, you can correct them by saying, but the Bible says this, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12, good verse to know. And then the Lord Jesus himself said in John 14.6, and we should know these verses off by heart, where Jesus said, I am the way. Say it with me. I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. No one. You cannot get to God other than through Jesus Christ. So anyone who denies, any religion that denies Jesus Christ as the Son of God, guess what? They're not worshipping the God that we're worshipping. They cannot get to the same God and Father that we worship because there's only one way. It's through Jesus. Take Jesus out of the picture, you're dead. You don't get to God. I want to finish uh, with this quote that I read from this book. I love Christmas season. Sometimes the Bible stores pack these sorts of books in their stores. And this one's called The Glory of Christmas. And I just want to read, as I close now, um, a little passage uh, written by Henry and Richard Blackaby. It's called Discovering God's Daily Agenda. What a good passage, a good title. Let me read this to you. God's plan of salvation has existed since time began. Only he in his wisdom, love, power and perfection could have devised such a deeply compelling yet incredibly costly plan. Only a God as infinitely loving as our God would be willing to let his sinless son serve as the perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the sin of the human race. Jesus, our servant king, submitted himself to this eternal plan. He allowed himself to be nailed to the cross and mocked by his creatures because of our sin. By doing this, Christ established a path to God for sinners. He blazed the trail of salvation that countless others could follow. Interestingly, the Greek translation as the author in Hebrews 2 verse 10 speaks about the author of their salvation. He says, interestingly, the Greek translation of that can also mean captain, pioneer, or pathfinder. God gave authority over all creation, over every power and authority to the servant Messiah, who, completely humbling himself, died on the cross for the sins of mankind. 2,000 years ago, with his own son, and today with his children, God exalts the lowly, strengthens the weak, and honours the humble. He was and is their greatest need 
the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And the obvious question has to be, have you received this gift into your life today? You'll probably get lots of Christmas gifts, but have you received the gift? The gift. The one who is described as the indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Prayed in a little prayer meeting this morning. Love those words. Let's, uh, let's pray. Oh, just before I do, I, I just want to make this comment before uh, Julianne comes up. Um, today is a good day. But if you haven't yet accepted Christ, if you don't know really the one that we're talking about, if you don't know this God with us, it's a good day, a good day for you to ask someone about that. Pastor Darrell, myself, Pastor David, others that are here today, might be the person sitting beside you, talk to them. Have someone pray with you before you go. If you're sensing God speaking to you about something that you've heard him say to you this morning. Good time to do that, folks, before you leave. Let's pray. Thanks, Julianne and team. Father, we just bless you. We thank you for this, uh, this beautiful occasion that once again just reminds us of this uh, magnificent truth that uh, you came in our midst as Emmanuel, as God with us, that the word became flesh, that in the fullness of time you sent forth your son and that, Father, we want to bless you and thank you for this amazing gift, this indescribable gift that you've given us. Lord, help us to receive him with all our heart that we hold nothing back from him. You held nothing back from us when you gave us the best. Help us to hold nothing back as we give you the best, as we give you it all, Lord. So we just thank you for the time we've shared together here this morning. Lead us now out into the rest of this day, indeed into Carol's time that we'll share today. and Help us, Lord, to go out and, and be a, a, a blazing light for you, to touch somebody, for the Lord Jesus today. Use us to do that, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be excited about this faith, about this Saviour who came into the world. And we just thank you for that glorious gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, being with you forever. So bless us, Lord, as we commit our, the rest of our day to you now and thank you for this time we've shared together in your most wonderful name. Amen.